Hey there all you cool cats and kittens and welcome back to another episode of Best in Sass, where each week we take you behind the scenes for conversations with some of Silicon Valley's best and brightest operators and investors. Crack a beer, get comfortable, and join us on our quest to find the patterns and playbooks that accelerate the sprint to 10 million of that good stuff, that repeatable stuff, that stuff we call ARR. Today, super excited to welcome uh, Mark Roberge to the show, an advisor to HubSpot. Um, you took them from zero customers, if I'm right, to over 10,000 as their SVP of sales and ultimately CRO. Um, you have a best-selling book, uh, The Sales Acceleration Formula. I also know we're going to get to talk today about um, an ebook you're putting together uh, on topics near and dear to my heart in this podcast um, and you're a senior lecturer at HBS. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Elias. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, I mean, man, there's so much we could cover here together, but I'd love to just jump straight into it. Um, you know, your experience at HubSpot and now as an investor uh, has led you to, among many, many things, work on this new project you have. What's the title of this, this ebook you're putting out? Uh, yeah, so yeah, really working. This is something that I've been working on for years. My Saster speech last year we laid the groundwork for it as well, uh, which was like the step-by-step guide to revenue growth. More title, like these days, it's reestablishing uh, the science of reestablishing growth, when, where, and how, is really what uh, you know. I think is it's it's a good way to apply the the theories in the in the uh, in the book to today's times. So it's, is it basically like you wrote this book and it was based on all of your experience and then in the time that's passed, you've kind of observed shifts in the market or shifts in tech? Like what what led you to want to kind of come back to the topic and update it? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I've, I've constantly been codifying stuff, especially my work at, at HBS. is kind of like my job to, to build cases and to help with the curriculum there and basically build it on the sales side. So that's been part of it. the other part is just like, you know, since HubSpot, I've worked with at least a hundred startups, um, probably dozens of them very intimately, you know what I mean? Like for a year plus, like one day a week. So just saw like the sales acceleration formula was basically a, a, a story of how I did the HubSpot team. You know what I mean? Like I just kept getting a bunch of questions about like, how do you hire reps and how do you build the comp plan? And how do you do this data driven approach? That's predictable. And I was just like, you know, got to write a book on this because I just keep getting the same questions from entrepreneurs and this will be helpful. So that was more of like how I did it at HubSpot, um, but not as much like focus on the right order in which you do it, like when, and also like not really told in a way that is highly applicable to lots of different contexts, lots of different companies. So that's really what, you know, this one was, um, uh, you know, it's, I just feel like we don't have we don't have a lot of science around how we scale. We don't have a lot of science around when we scale. We say this like product market fit thing, but like everyone defines it differently and very subjectively. <laughs> um, and we, when, when we raise a series A, we hire 10 reps the next month and that I've never seen that work and everyone does it. Like, I, like every time I see that happen, like you're, you have two reps left a year, a year later. So just that, that's really what this, this work is addressing is trying to, trying to, um, uh, showcase what I've seen as best in class and how you think about scale. It's almost like the uh, the build it and they will come mentality, but for <laughs> when you build a sales team, we're like, oh, we just need the some talented, hungry AEs and we'll be we'll be good to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
And and also like I think we're you know we're just over prematurely and over obsessed with top line revenue growth, the whole triple triple double double, you know, that's always talked about in San Francisco. And it's like with no regard for like less less regard than is necessary, especially in the early phases around customer value creation, which which tends to be the pattern around what what allows someone to skyrocket toward a unicorn. So the the framework really resides in that in that mindset. Well, I'm excited to hear what what you're proposing should replace that because every time I hear that, it just makes me want it. Cra- I crave In and Out burgers for like the double double or triple double. So hopefully, you pick a non, uh, you know, a name that is safe and far away from burgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, triple triple double double. I mean, yeah, yeah, believe me, we want to see that, but it's not like it doesn't summarize the story and the plan. So basically, the whole premise is is based on this, you know, premature obsession with revenue growth and 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 sort of too subjective, like non-rigorous definition of product market fit. All right. So let's just start with product market fit for a second, which is the first phase. Like when, when should we scale? We need product market fit. And it's like, you know, Google product market fit. There's a good Wikipedia page. Some of the great thought leaders have definitions there, but it, it ranges from like a great product in a big market, which is like, what does that mean? And like, there's some more rigorous stuff like survey your customers and if 40% say they can't live without your product, you have it. I mean, I'm just a little concerned about like surveys are riddled with like false positive. You know, it's like they'll tell you what you want to hear, right? Um, a nobody lot of people. Break, nobody wants to break yeah. the young entrepreneur's heart. Oh, yeah. It's like, I feel, of course I can't live without it. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, you know, surveys in general, just like huge false positive risk. So it's a little, it's a little scary to base a huge decision like when to scale on that element. You know, and then you got a lot of people put it in sales. Like, I think that's totally wrong. And coming from a salesperson, like, really? Product market fit is if people buy your product? It's like, <laughs> like, that has nothing to do with whether your product works or delivers the value. It's that's basically message market fit. You know what I mean? Like, right. great. Yeah, sure. you, you know how to pitch your, your vision. That's great. But so, so for me, like, the best definition, if I had to choose one metric, it would be like retention. Right. So I think, Either retention or if you're not a subscription business, like repurchase or buy, buy more from you, right? So when that happens, then I think that's the best measure of product market fit. The whole problem is that's such a lagging indicator. Right. It's far out like, we, Yeah. I mean, we can't, we got to, we got to go in days, weeks, and like, we can't wait a year to like acquire customers and see if they renew and retain. And so... so- question yeah. for you on that just to dive in real fast like is there yeah. a way then that we could game that the like the retention lag and and purposefully set up shorter contract terms where they have to opt sure. renew I, like I prefer i prefer monthly terms out of the gate yeah i don't i don't feel like we're we're ready to lock people in out of the gate like we want that you know yeah that's that's good down the road from a cash flow standpoint and like the the stress on your csm team but like yeah out of the gate i like that i mean that's one way to do it, but I think it's not the best way is to seek out a leading indicator of customer retention. I think this is one of the most important tactical decisions that an entrepreneur needs to make once they have a theory on what they're, you know, what they're going after. And I don't see a lot of them do it. I mean, it's starting to gain momentum in the valley. I think they call it the aha moment. Um, you know, sometimes it's labeled as that. Um, but I have a very particular pattern that I like to that I, you know, I invest through and I have my, I, the companies I advise set up and it's, 
um, to define the leading indicator of customers' tension as the percentage of you know, the P percentage of customers that achieve E event in T time. So it sounds a little geeky with like variables and stuff, but <laughs> let's just unpack that for a sec. So it's like, if we take it, like Slack's has some documentation on what they looked at. It was something like, you know, 85% of our customers uh, send 2,000 T messages in 30 days. Beautiful. Beautiful. Like, of course, if that happens, yeah, I'm really comfortable. We have product market fit. 80% of the customers we sign up um, send to more than 2,000 T messages in, in 30 days. That's so much better than like people buy our product or like, you know what I mean? That, that's, that's product market fit and it probably correlates with retention. And a year from now, we can actually make sure that it does. For Dropbox, I think it was, a, you, you, I'd love to hear your example. Your example. The, the literature I read, it sounded like it was more like 85% of customers uh, share one file, one folder through one device uh, within one day. I'm probably like off on some of the, but what would your guess? Because you're close to them. Well, I think it, it, it like it changes pretty frequently with stage, right? Like as you cross each. Yeah, if you go back to the old like, what, in talking with Drew and that kind of stuff, like back in the old days, like when they were at that A stage, what would you guess it would have been? Oh man, I mean, we came in super late stage, so I I, I truthfully don't have good visibility into what it okay. was early. But I, yeah, I mean, I think what you said, something along the lines of what you said, where it's like, yeah. you know, someone, someone finds Dropbox with the intention of immediate utility. And totally. if they, you know, don't drop something meaningful in there and then probably come back and retrieve something within a certain time window, at least in the early days, right? Before it was considered something that you'd use in, you know, for work. Um, exactly. Which, which is now where like all of our focus now, not all of it, but a good chunk of it is on, you know how how does it become really sticky in the workplace as yeah. this new the collaboration and some of the new products absolutely exactly so there's what changes you know that's what I define it on that new new product line but that's an example and their T for T days is going to be much shorter than say Slacks drop I mean HubSpot's I know it was we we uh, we discovered ours when we were north of ten million because we didn't know the value of it um, but um, ours was. Um, uh, 80% of our customers using five or more features in our 25 feature suite, uh, within 60 days. And that was just groundbreaking for us. So, so anyway, like I would just encourage people to like take a more data driven, rigorous approach to product market fit in line with this thinking, figure out what your leading indicator of retention is, and then set up your customer cohorts so you can see like, okay, great. Like last month in April, you know, if we look back to March, we acquired, you know, 20 customers and you know two months later like 56 percent have hit this this early indicator and if we go back to like say the december cohort when they were two months old it was only 38 percent. so we're doing a lot of stuff right here you know so now well, now i feel like we're achieving we're getting closer to product market right well and i love how that that in a way unifies sales marketing and product totally. in a specific way because now you know instead of marketing having their own golden motion and, and being like an island to tee up good just revenue opportunities in general now you have everyone kind of with the same same motion in mind and supporting the same education buyer education all that so exactly it allows so that that's the, the magic is not the number the magic is the alignment because so i'll take you through the next two phases here but you First, you have to recognize which phase you're in. Then you have to align your whole go-to-market around it. Because the even the, how you copy a rep, who your rep is, 
the customers you're going after, the pricing of your product, the best companies I see navigate through this adjust it based on that stage. Okay. So let's just break that down for a sec. Like, you know, at the product market fit stage, it's like the rep, first off, isn't like the same rep as when you're like, you know, a million in revenue. That's like, you've got a playbook. This is a, a commission. You know, this person has a commission plan. They want to make a lot of money. They're rich. Like this rep at this stage is like half AE, half PM. Sure. You know what I mean? They're like, they're, they don't necessarily, they, they might not even be able to hit quota. Like, I don't care. They're just like the innovator. They can, they can listen to the customer and do great discovery like a PM would talk to engineers to communicate the trends. Like that's who we need way different. And, and like the, the, the marketing team at this point, like first off, I think at this stage, you should, you could be heavily reliant on like board and management referrals, you know, like non-scalable demand yet. We just need like a couple dozen customers here to play ball. We don't need to build like a cold calling function. So, so that, you know, that, that's pricing. God, let's not talk about this right now. Pricing, comp plan. Come on. <laughs> price, price for commitment. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. it's like, listen, you know, we're, we're pretty early. We have five customers here. Um, you know, we're, we're probably going to charge like 40,000 a year for this, but like, we're just looking for 20 customers to give a 90% discount to you for the first year. Unless your biggest risk is price, which it rarely is, who cares? You know what I mean? Just get them in the door. Don't make it free because they need to be committed to setting this thing up. But like, you know, just, you know, we, we really need to be talking about getting the right customers. So everyone's aligned. Marketing is bringing in the customers, not just that will buy, but will succeed with this indicator. Sales is selling people not just for money, but for this indicator. Product is studying why the percentage isn't higher and revolving the roadmap around it. And the customer success reps are measured by this, not long-term churn. Right? So it's just this really nice alignment of the team. I love that. Okay. So, so, so what's now the- we go to the next phase. So, so, so oh. the, the thing about this is like during this stage of product market fit, like, we got to follow Paul Graham's advice, like, no, like, do unscalable things, right? So just like David Kansler at Drift, when he was in the stage, he was like, he was literally flying to customers that were paying him $50 a month to personally set them up on Drift. Like, that's how we have to be thinking, like, throw everything in the kitchen sink at this to get to that number, because so few companies can do it. But once you get there, now we have to do it scalably. So this is what I call go-to-market fit. The the next stage after product market fit. So we have to keep, keep to, in product market fit, we gain the confidence that when we acquire customers that a high degree will, will, will retain. Now we have to do that scalably. Okay. And that's how we usually measure that as unit economics. Now the same unit economics being like payback period, LTV CAC, magic number, like pick your poison or do all three, whatever. And like, <laughs> but the, the thing with unit economics, same thing here, this is, this is, this is also a lagging indicator. Like we, we, you know, of all the stuff we're doing right now, you know, we're not going to get visibility of the LTV CAC until, um, you know, quarters later. And so we have to extract back that outcome to near term, um, metrics. And that's very easy to do. It's just algebra. I mean, lifetime value is just how much your customer is paying you times the gross margin divided by the churn. And the CAC is, you know, how many customers are you signing up to find your, your sales and marketing spend divided by those customers? We can extract all that back into metrics that we're already measuring, which is total appointments set by our SDRs, you know, uh, cost per sales qualified lead, the conversion of those SQLs to opportunities and customers. Like we just have to make sure that we, we, what we're tracking yields an LTV to CAC above three. 
And now we can know in, you know, daily and weekly if our, if we're playing out our business model as we've designed it. Right. So this is where like, you know, a comp plan is huge. We got to get it right. Pricing model is huge. <laughs> Getting one scalable demand gen channel is huge. Doesn't matter in product market fit, but this is where these things come into play. And now at this point, I probably have a three or four person sales team. And again, it's not the, the, the coin operated like crush quota rep. It's like the process builder. Cause one of the most important things I need at this point is the sales process. Right. And, it, and it, obviously it ranges wildly, but are you mapping this back to any kind of ballpark MRR, ARR? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I think it's like, usually it's like a couple hundred thousand in, in ARR in the product market fit. And usually you're approaching like a million in the go to market fit. But, you know, I don't, there's, you know, the majority of startups don't follow this process. So it's like, I think it can happen a lot earlier. Um, right. Yeah. And if you're just what it is. laser focused on doing the things that don't scale and getting those first marquee customers who are going to leverage the product and give you the feedback and you're discounting heavily, then you may have a falsely low ARR number, you know, because totally. you haven't totally. really. Yeah. So it market. could happen. Yeah. You just need, and also it's like, are you selling jets or pencils? Right. It's like, <laughs> that's going to, it's going to matter a lot. Right. So, so, but yeah, that's roughly what, what I see. And then, so now you got product market fit and we can continue to measure it through these customer cohorts. So every month we see if our new cohorts, how are they progressing on our turn, on our, our um, leading indicator. We got go to market fit, which is our dashboards that we know that if these metrics are hit, it'll produce good unit economics. Now we go into the final stage, which is the growth and mode. Okay. So how fast do you scale? How fast? That's a, that's a huge question. Sure. How fast should we scale? Like, and, and if you get this wrong, if you go too fast, you kill your business. If you go too slow, you leave the window open for competitors. Right. And yet we have very little science to answer this. So, so the, what I see just kills companies. I mean, pretty much every startup I see, like they raise, they, they have product market fit as perceived by some crazy number like sales. And then they, they raise a series A and they hire 10 reps in the next month. <laughs> Holy cow. You've seen that, right? They how do you hire, how do you go from hire, you have one, two sellers in your team. How do you hire 10 reps in one month? Oh, but Mark, they're ready. They're so ready. Everyone, <laughs> we sold the dream to the investor. They bought the valuation. Yeah. We have to do it. Dude, yeah. you are so screwed. Like I've seen, a I've seen you try it 50 times. You have one or two reps left a year later and you burn millions of dollars. It's crazy. Like how many interviews do you have to do to hire 10 reps in a month? Like, how do you onboard those people without a process? How, who's going to manage them? How do you feed them with demand? Like, there's so much risk there. And that's the stuff that you figure out in the go-to-market fit. And so, and, and you've figured out half of it. And so, a better approach to scale is a pace, not a lump sum higher at the beginning of the year. So, that's really what we do is now we've got these two instrumented measures. Um, so, let's hire one rep a month for the next five months. And let's watch our lead indicator of retention and lead indicator of unit economics. If we hire one rep a month for five months and those lead indicators look good, let's go to two a month. And after four months, let's go to four a month. And after four months, let's go to eight a month. That's friggin' scale. And if they break, we'll know way or we'll know two quarters ahead of the PL, which is what most companies use to evaluate whether they're doing well. Are you kidding sure. me? You know so, what I mean? do you, so, yeah, do you imagine this being like uh, the new formula? Like with the two to the four to the. Basically, like, I mean, this is what I do. Well, 
Yeah, I don't know what the right piece. <laughs> Listen, like you, you got to author some of these things to the business, right? So yes, it's very common for a business selling a product that's tens of thousands of dollars in the mid market that it's like one for four months, two for the next four months, four for the next. I'd much rather do if we could go there in our plans as opposed to hire ten reps in January and see what happens. The the the, the failure rate of of Series B startups will go from seventy percent to fifty. I mean, it's like Jesus, like. Don't you think so? Yeah, totally. No, totally. I mean, I think if I look at when we're brought in as like senior marketers to come help, almost like 75% of the time, it's by a frantic board or a frantic VP of sales who's like, shit, we like, we just got all these reps hired and they're sitting like, you know, there's no support for the demand. There's no pipeline outside of just cold, you know, outbound. And so, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, like that, that's, and then, and then you just watch the dashboard that you, I call it the speedometer. You know, it's just two pieces. It's the lead indicator, retention, lead indicator of unit economics. That's the speedometer. And so just, we put those uh, plans together and I just think it's a lot healthier. And that's what's, that's what I've seen be working. It's what we did at HubSpot and it's what I do with a lot of the businesses you know, the first six investments we made, five of them marked up in seven months. So when you're, I mean, as with your investor hat on, how do you, I'd imagine you, you have crazy deal flow just from your background and, and you're probably seeing a lot of companies that more traditional kind of investors who have, who are, who are okay with the way that we kind of arbitrarily place product market. Yeah, triple, fit. triple, double, double. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. how how do you approach those deals and even maybe just the conversations with those investors behind the scenes where you're looking at it and saying, "Hey, like this is like there's a necessary risk for, because of this approach." Like are, are you Yeah, we usually just that? don't get involved if their mentality is not there. I mean, first off, like we we look first and foremost at customer attention and leading indicators before we look at at, at revenue, which is way different than I think most investors. You know, I think most people is like for most investors, if you tripled your revenue, they're probably in. And if you didn't, they're probably out. Um, and for us, it's like, if you're, if your logo retention is above 90%, we're probably in. If it's not, we're probably out. And I don't care if you're going 50%, 100%, or 200%, cause it's such an amazing foundation to accelerate off of. So like, yeah, we, we first off obviously gut check the, the CEO's mindset and we educate them before the investment to see if they're into it. And then we talk to the board too. And then like some of the later stage folks, I mean, I had a board meeting this week that fell into, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a battle sometimes. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they fortunately, like we had success at HubSpot. So they, they tend to like give me some, you know, <laughs> they tend to listen. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes a little battle, but it's like, you know, when you're not always solving for the next quarter and it's, it's not that hard of a conversation where you're like, listen, I know you want me to hire 10 reps next month, but like, Let's just let's just model out what it looks like to do one for four months, two for four months, four for four months, and look, look at a, a, a two-year horizon. Like you end up at a relatively similar ARR two years later, and especially when you factor in that your likely turnover rate on the lump sum ten reps is at least fifty percent. Yeah. And if if this model is going to yield more like a twenty percent turnover, then the latter plan crushes it. You know, so, so usually you can like, you can, you can like appease the, the finance jocks with like an Excel model that shows them sort of backs the strategy. Totally. 
So I know we could we could deep dive and nerd out on this for probably an entire afternoon, but for folks who want to kind of deep dive, because you just you're just debuting this now-ish, right? Like where would they find? Yeah, more? I mean, I, I'm not like I'm not like a big like main launch guy. Like I'm not like write a book in a room for a year and then launch it. I'm more like I've been thinking about this for years and talking about it. Um, I just wrote a 40 page ebook on it right when COVID hit because I was finally had time to, I guess, you know, like, right. so, uh, the first version of that's up on stage two capitals blog. Um, we're, we're actually redoing the site right now, but like, if you just click on the first blog post we put there, it's the call to action at the end. And it's the call to action at the end of most of the blog posts, the science of scaling. So you can dig in there. Um, and, um, you know, I'll probably, I'll probably write an article, like a, a headline article on it, like this weekend and start launching it like this, this coming next week. Perfect. It's super exciting. I, I love the framework. It's so clear. And, um, you know, it's like, it just it, not even, not even like a radical, it, it, it's a radical shift without it being, you know, requiring a radical change in behavior, right? It's just, yeah, it's really just like kind of everyone's close. You know what I mean? Everyone's yeah. kind of, they're just not fully aligned and not quite looking at the metrics as rigorous as we could. So it's not, yeah, it's not like Eric Reese had a bigger, journey to do with like lean startup i mean people were doing like waterfall and like that was a big change you know this is just kind of like just framing a little tighter yeah totally so uh as we wind this down i I always love to ask you know who who in your professional career obviously you've, you've had an amazing career so far and it's only just continuing to get better um who are the folks out there who have inspired you Geez, long list. Um, you know, John McMahon was probably my most important mentor at, um, HubSpot. He's, he's, he's really well known among the venture community, probably not as much in the entrepreneur community. He, he just needs to write a little bit more. Um, but he, he took PTC from a hundred million to a billion in revenue. Freaking wow. crazy. So he Damn. was, I would get together with him once a month for four hours and he would just help me see as we were scaling the issues I wasn't seeing. Uh, of course, like Halligan and David Scott, Halligan, CEO of HubSpot, and David Scott, who's our investor from Matrix, they really helped me connect like the strength of my mechanical engineering roots and analytical background and, and the future of sales leadership. So I thank them for that. It really pushed me to like, you know, beyond what was typically done in sales to innovate a little bit. Um, and then a guy like Mike Gamson, who runs global sales at, at LinkedIn for a long time, he was just always a guy that I could like, um, call up for some of the softer side he's so good at culture um and he like he was like my therapist you know when i see him so there's, there's a long list there but um you know those are some of the big the big players that, that helped me along the road amazing well mark thank you so much this was a great conversation i know our, our audience is going to love it so um looking forward to digging into the 44 pages and hopefully seeing it ripple throughout the the tech community awesome thanks les